Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 5 through 8. Philippians chapter 2 at verses 5 through 8. And we're going to continue in the journey of the Christ life. You say, how in the world are you going to do this on Palm Sunday? Well, just hang on. We're going to talk today about experiencing Christ as our attitude. Experiencing Christ as our attitude. Now, let me get you into this. God cares about our relationship. I hope you know that. But it's only in Christ and surrendered to Christ can our relationships be what God desires. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2 brings this to light when he shows us how Christ is the well that must be drawn from consistently in order for relationships to be what God intended them to be. Verses 1 through 5 of chapter 2, Paul tells us that in Christ we have First of all, the desire and the ability. He's the one who moves us towards this to encourage our brother who is hurting, but also to comfort one another with just the right words. That only happens in Christ. To share spiritual fellowship with our brother in Christ. To have true compassion that makes us sensitive to the hurting people that are around us. But once again, only in Christ. By allowing Christ to live in us and through us, we become the audience to watch the Master work. So he says in Philippians 2, 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Only when we're surrendered to Christ and are experiencing his life, as Paul refers to in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, when he says, for to me to live is Christ and die is gain, can we experience his attitude towards others. You see, he's our life in chapter 1, He's our attitude in chapter 2. So this, on this special day, Palm Sunday, 2014, we're going to look at the attitude of Christ. And what a fitting thing to do. We're joining with Christians all over the world today celebrating Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday marks the historical moment in history when Jesus Christ rode into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey. It's called his triumphal entry. And it began the grand finale of his purpose for coming to this earth. It began the Passion Week. This is the last week that he would be here with us on earth. Jesus came to die a cruel death on the cross for the sin of mankind. Your sin, my sin, which had separated us all from God. In order that man could once again have a relationship with God. You see, when Adam sinned, we sinned in Adam. We were yet unborn in the loins of Adam. But when Adam sinned, it was like a virus that spread into the human race. And the only cure is for the Lord Jesus to come and die for our sin because sin causes death. But what kind, here's the question, what kind of attitude would it take for a holy God to come into a sinful world and to die for sinners such as you and me? Well, Paul answers that question in Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8. I love these words. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So what kind of attitude would cause God to come into a sinful world and die for us? The attitude of love, a selfless love that God alone has for you and for me. Say it with me. We bring you right into this. John 3, 16, you know it. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But his love doesn't stop there. Not only did he die on the cross for us, but he resurrected from the dead, ascended, was glorified, and now represents us in heaven as our high priest this morning. But it doesn't stop there. He loves us enough to send his Holy Spirit to come and live in the lives of those who have trusted him to be their Savior. Christ produces. This is the hard thing for us to put our, our arms around. He produces the very character in us that he demands from us. He produces his very life. And in that life is his attitude towards others in those of us who walk by faith. When we choose to walk, choose to walk by faith, he produces that character and attitude in our life. Let me give you an example. Whenever you see the selfless attitude manifested in the Apostle Paul, who, by the way, shared the gospel in very hostile areas, it was not Paul. It was Christ living in and through Paul. Listen to his own testimony, Galatians 2.20. It's not me who lives, but he says, it's Christ who lives in me. He says in verse 21 of chapter 1 of Philippians that we referenced a few moments ago, for to me, to live is Christ. And that attitude that was seen in Christ was also seen in Paul because Christ lived in Paul. Somebody said one day, I want to play basketball like Michael Jordan. Well, the only way that this old boy could ever play basketball like Michael Jordan, first of all, I'd be a lot younger, but secondly would be for Michael Jordan to get inside of me because there's nobody that can play basketball like Michael Jordan. He'd have to get inside of us to do that. For us to live the Christian life, Christ has to be in us. He's the one who makes that, that life take place in our life. Well, the attitude that was seen in Christ was also seen in Paul because Christ lived in Paul. So in our text today, we can better understand why Paul says, and when he says it to the Philippian church, and also to us. He says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. It's a command, by the way, not an option. Now, if it were impossible, and I've heard people say this, I'm not God, I can't have that attitude. If it were impossible for us to have that attitude in us towards others, particularly those that are hostile towards us, then Paul would not have commanded it. So what does the attitude then of Christ look like towards others that are hostile towards him? What does that attitude look like? Well, let's look at Jesus. That's what Paul does. And let's pull out of this what we can relate to our own lives today. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Three things I want you to see. First of all, he was totally selfless in his love for mankind. You see, who he was did not in any way interfere with what he came to do. As we look at Jesus in Philippians chapter 2 and see his selfless love, we really need to pay attention as we're doing this because it reflects on what Paul says to the Romans in Romans 12, 3. He says, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of, your, of himself than he ought to think. The way we treat others, oftentimes, most of the time, paints a picture, a clear picture, of how much we think about ourselves. So Paul begins verse 5 by leaving no doubt that Jesus Christ is and all, has always been God. He says in verse 6, who, although he existed in the form of God, 
did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. The word existed there is in the present tense, and it means that Jesus Christ was and is and always will be God. It means to remain in a position you're already in. John chapter 1, verse 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Imperfect tense. It had no beginning and no end. And then in verse 14, And the Word became flesh. Christ continued to be God even during his humiliation here on this earth. He never ceased to be God. But Paul isn't finished yet. As he adds, Who, although he existed, continued to exist in the form of God. Now, the word form is the word morphe and refers to the inward essence of someone, not their outward appearance. For Christ to be in the form of God, he would have to be God. His very essence was that he was God, and he continued to exist as God when he came to earth. All of heaven recognized Christ to be God. Now, you've got to think about this. In John 17, verse 5, he says, and he's praying the prayer here on this earth, his high priestly prayer. He says, now, Father, glorify me together with, with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Now, think about it. His glory must have been magnificent. The, the disciples got a little view of this when they were on the Mount of Transfiguration. And Jesus was in prayer. And all of a sudden, there was a glow that began to come from within through his robe, the Shekinah glory of God. And they saw it. They recognized it. They saw it. Think about it. How magnificent that glory must have been. But even though he was God, Philippians 2, 6 says, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. As God, Christ knew the humiliation. He knew the dishonor that would come to him when he came into a sinful earth to become the Son of Man. He already knew what was ahead. Revelation says he's the Lamb in the portals of heaven, ready to come and die for the sins of mankind before the foundation of the world. But his love was so selfless that he chose not to use who he was for his own benefit, even though he knew he would be how he'd be treated when he came here into this world, earth. Though he was God, he was willing to accept the cheers, and they even cheered him as he rode into Jerusalem. But he was also willing to accept the jeers that came later on, and particularly from Israel, because Israel thought he was going to come as a king, kick the Gentiles out, and rule and reign. They didn't know the two parts of his coming. He had to come, first of all, to die for our sins. Then he'll come and rule the second time that he comes back. Though he was God, in order to heal the broken relationship between man and God, he was willing to endure the cheers and the jeers. That's what selfless love does. This selfless love or attitude is what Christ wants to manifest in you and me. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. So on this Palm Sunday, as we celebrate his selfless love to come into the world to redeem mankind, I guess the question would be, what is our attitude toward those who are around us, particularly those who don't like us, who misunderstand us, and are hostile towards us? Do we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to? You say, well, man, I'm not quite tracking with you yet. Well, let me see if I can help. This is a true story. A preacher in a particular place, 
was divorcing his wife. A pastor friend of his wrote him a letter. He said, how can you do what you're doing? Jesus was willing to stoop down to heal a broken relationship, to leave his throne in glory, his exalted position, and to stoop down and make himself of no reputation to heal the relationship of man and God. How can you not step down from your position to heal the broken relationship you have with your wife? And the saddest answer ever comes from him. He said, I was first of all called to preach long before I was called to be married. That's what I'm talking about. Have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And when it comes to these difficult times in our relationship, the hostile times, the times when it's not pleasant to think about, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Thank God he came to live in us to produce through us that which he demands from us. Well, Jesus was totally selfless in his love for mankind. Who he was did not in any way interfere with what he came to do. Secondly, he stooped down to heal the broken relationship between God and man. In verse 7, he said, But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. The words emptied himself means that he divested himself of his rightful dignity and glorious recognition in order to stoop down to an inferior position. He did not empty himself of his deity, and he did not empty himself of his power. But as God, he emptied himself of his divine recognition, masked himself in human flesh, chose not to use his power for his own benefit, making himself, as the King James Version says, of no reputation. He actually chose to take the form of a slave. Verse 7 says, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. And we saw that that word form means the essence of. So not only does he have the essence of God, now he has the essence of a bondservant. The word for bondservant is the word for slave. You mean, Wayne, that God, holy God, chose to take the essence of a slave, which in the day that Jesus came to this earth was despised and rejected by men? Yes, that's what Paul's telling us. He made himself devoid of his divine glory and stooped down, and he took the form of a slave, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Now, be real careful of those terms, being made, because you must understand it. It's the word genome. Genome doesn't mean being made. It means he came into being. He came into being. He already existed as God. He came into being on earth in the likeness of men. And a different word is used with that word likeness. It means he had a body that resembled ours, but not exactly like ours. You see, he never ceased to be God. But he came into the world as fully man, God incarnate. So his becoming man was not an act of human wills. This was not a father and a mother planning to have a child. No, this was an act of divine will. And he was born of a virgin named Mary, prophesied in Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That was in Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore his body was similar to ours, but not exactly like ours. Why? Because it did not have the sinful nature of Adam that is inherited, we inherited from him. We have them different. We have the tendency to sin. 
But Jesus did not. In fact, when you take a box of metal and you wave some magnet over top of it, all the metal will respond. But if you have an alloy in there that doesn't respond to that magnet, it just lays there. When the, the, level, what the wand of temptation is put over us because of the nature of Adam, we respond. But the Lord Jesus, a man, fully man, fully God, on this earth, when the devil waved his wand of temptation over him, nothing responded. And Jesus himself said he had nothing in me that he could draw from me. Therefore, he was similar to ours, but not exactly like us. He was the perfect son of God that came into this earth as the perfect son of man. Oh, the height from which Jesus came and the depths to which he stooped. Instead of choosing to be born in a palace, he was born in a stable. Why did he do this? To heal a broken relationship between man and with God. You think relationships are important to God? How far are we willing to stoop down to heal a broken relationship? Or maybe as we look in a mirror in the morning and I could never point a finger to anybody else, do we think more, more highly of ourselves than we ought to think? Jesus was selfless in his love for you and me. Who Jesus was did not interfere in any way with what he came to do for the sinful mankind. He stooped down to heal a broken relationship between man and God. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. You know, I've always enjoyed humor. In fact, I have a grandson, Jonathan, who does also. And if my mother was still living, she would say, oh, no, there are two of them. We can be in a room of a 1,000 people. We're the only two laughing. We just see humor in everything. I can't help it. I'm wired that way. And that's the way Jonathan is. And one of the things I've discovered over the years when other people seem to have that sense of humor and want to play a joke on you, look out, 90% of them cannot take it when you play one back on them. In fact, I could give you a lot of stories about what's happened over the years of jokes I thought they could take, <clears throat> but they couldn't. I'll give you one. Uh, years ago, I was at a, we had a guy in a church, I was, I was a youth pastor 15 years, youth and recreation, that was my 15. My 40 years with the sheep. Moses just thinks he had a bad time. He didn't have 15 years in, in youth work. Anyway, I was in, in a particular church, and we had a guy that always bothered me because he was kind of a ladies' man. I mean, he's married, has a family. Why would he be a ladies' man? Always flirting with everybody. And had his hair. He, he's cool. He's cool dude. This is back when the hair was long. Remember that? They, and had to, he had it up over his ears. And I mean, he cool. He dressed that way, dressed like he was 25 years younger than he was, and always trying to be cool. Well, he knew I had a sense of humor, and so we were in Memphis, Tennessee, and we had a basketball tournament. I had taken two different teams with me. I'm sitting there eating, and all of a sudden, he took a piece of a pie. Actually, it was a whole pie. I said a piece in the first service, but it was really a whole pie, filled with whipped cream. And I turned around and said, Wayne, I turned around, and bam, he hit me right in the face. And this is in a restaurant. Everybody's in there. I mean, it went up my nose and everything else, and I, I smiled at him through the whipped cream. And I said, you don't know when, and you don't know where. But the time will come when I'll pay you back. Well, I waited. It was quite a long time that I waited. 
we had an adult banquet, and everybody was dressed up in roaring 20s costumes. I mean, adults love this, especially senior adults. They remember those days. And, no, I'm kidding. And they had, the, they had the, the old coats on. They all had, they had it dressed up like the, the, the roaring 20s. And, and they, had, they even had their guns on the end. Like the mafia, they had these fake guns on the inside. And, man, it was just a fun night. I chose to be a waiter that night for reasons that I had planned for weeks. On the cart that I had on the second shelf, which is about this high, I had a pie which had at least a foot of whipped cream on that. I had it covered by a sheet. I served this on the table, and I served the second row. I served the third and kept going down. He was on about the fourth or fifth one over. He had that long hair. I, when I was in youth work, I loved long hair. Just grab it, jerk it back. I mean, it's, parents, it's awesome. I mean, you want to you get a point across? Just grab the hair. Just, you go. And so when I got to him, I had that pie <laughs> there on the second shelf, and he happened to look around. I said, Tom, yeah. I grabbed his hair, jerked his head back, and I picked up that pie. And I didn't just cram it in his nose. It went into his brain, man. I've been, <laughs> And I said, I told you I'd get you back. He pulled out a gun. It was a real gun with blanks in it. I don't know if you know about this, but if you shoot a blank at somebody, you better be a good distance away from it because it'll hurt you bad. Well, I jumped back, and he fired. Boom, 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 boom. He emptied the thing, and then he was still pulling the trigger. He was so mad. Oh, he conditioned out. He couldn't take it. A few months later, I resigned. That's probably healthy for the family. Years later, I don't know how many of you have ever heard of Miss Bertha Smith. She lived to be 100 years old. She was a, one of the great revivalists. And she came to speak at our church one time, and I'll never forget it. And about sin, what sin is, and how, how the Shantung revival came about, and how God convicted them of things they never even looked at as sin in their life. And boy, I tell you what really convicted me. And I got down on my knees and I said, Lord, would you show me? You've, like David, you've searched me. Will you search me again? See if there be any hidden wickedness in my life. And lo and behold, that man's face came to my. And I'm thinking, get away from me, devil. <laughs> no, no, this can't be God. And that face came to me and God convicted me and said, you sinned against your brother. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. It's not, not for you to help me out. I didn't send you as my forerunner. Oh, man, I had to call him several states away. I remember when I called, I was hoping he wouldn't be there. Don't you love voicemails when you have to make a call like that? He answers the phone. And I said, Tom. He said, yeah. He didn't recognize the voice. I said, this is Wayne Barber. Have you ever sensed a snowstorm in a phone conversation? I mean, it froze. He just got quiet. And I said, Tom, I just need to call you. Got right to the point because he wasn't going to hold on long. And I said, I, got, I just needed to call you and ask you to forgive me because I sinned against you years ago. And I said, I embarrassed you in front of all of the friends that were there, made you angry. And I just, God put it on my heart, I've got to get this thing right. I said, would, would you forgive me? I've called to ask you. He waited for a moment and he broke down and began to weep on the phone. And he said, Wayne, you've set me free. How many times I've thought about calling you. How many times God's put that on my heart and I've been unwilling to do it. And Wayne, I'm just as wrong as you were. Will you forgive me? And man, we had a love fest right there on the phone four states away. It was so sweet that a few weeks later he sent us an invitation to come to his daughter's wedding and 
and it's been sweet ever since. That's what I'm talking about. He's right. He's wrong, and I'm right. Well, think about God. Look at the sinful world, and look what He did. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. I can't do that, and God says, duh, I never said you could. That's why I came to live in you, because I always said I would. Trust me, and I will produce what you are lacking in your life. Jesus not only said to forgive others, he said to forgive them as I have forgiven you, he says. How do you do that? You can't. Thank God he can. Thank God for the fact that he comes, he's our life in chapter 1. That's why he can be our attitude in chapter 2 of Philippians. Well, thirdly, he chose to submit to his Father even unto death for our sake. Verse 8, being found in the appearance of a man, as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The word appearance is the word schema, which is different from the word form found in verse 6 and 7. Whereas the word form referred to the inward essence, the word schema, appearance, refers to the outward appearance. He's in the fashion of a man. He came that way. Verse 8 says, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death, on a cross. He humbled himself. You know the tense that's in? Arist, Arist indicative, active, which means he chose to do this. And the word tapinos for, for, for humility is when you get as flat down as you far as you can to where nobody can even see you. Because you're, uh, uh, and he did it because he was being about the will of his father. How did he make himself low? Not only by coming into the earth, onto, into this earth in appearance as a man, but by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death, on a cross. Becoming obedient is also in the heir's middle, meaning it was his choice. He chose to do this. He wasn't made to do it. He chose. Word obedient, ipakuo. It's not used of, husband, of wives to the husband. That's a different word. That's, that's a whole different word. But this particular word here means totally absolutely without question he was obedient to his father in the garden he said father to be thy will take this cup from me but nevertheless not my will but thine be done he knew what was going to happen when he went to the cross death wasn't bothering him he was no knowing that he would the shekinah glory of god would would invade that sin that he became and the father would forsake him there on the cross in order for him to pay the debt he did not owe it involved his obedience to the Father involved submission to his parents, God, for 30 years, the God-man. It also involves submission to the government.